0: Well, look, Dad, your friend is building it. My friends, we were downtown driving around the new soccer stadium that is being built right here in St. Louis, Missouri, when my son Patrick yelled that out from the back seat of the car. Look, Dad, your friends are building it. He was referring to my friends at Keeley Companies. Keeley Companies is proud to be a part of the team that is bringing Major League Soccer to America's first soccer capital right here in St. Louis, Missouri. As construction partners of the St. Louis City Stadium, they are looking forward for this project to be a place for entertainment, camaraderie, and passion for generations to come. You can learn more about that project and look what else they're building, Dad, by visiting them right now online at keeleycompanies.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John
1: is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire, He's a world-class
0: inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from
1: accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary.
0: Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. Over the past five and a half years, that's how long we've been honored to lead forward this Live Inspired podcast movement. It has been an honor to interview New York Times bestselling authors like Brene Brown, Nick V, and Mitch Album. We've had the honor of interviewing athletes such as Jackie Joyner, Kersey, who I love, Kurt Warner, my brother, who I love. We've had renowned entrepreneurs like Starbucks, Howard Bihar, Netflix, Mark Randolph, among many others. We've featured award-winning actors and musicians and astronauts and philanthropists. Each and every single Live Inspired podcast is carefully selected with you, my friend, with you in mind. And with each episode, my goal is to help refresh and refocus each of us to live a more fulfilled, in other words, a more inspired life. Today, I am honored and excited to share with you a young woman from sports that some of you may not yet be familiar with, but after you hear her story, you're going to be glad we connected you to her. Her name is Kiana Clay. She is the first adaptive female motocross racer. She is the 2021 Do tour gold medalist and snowboarding adaptive bank slalom. And she is a 2026 Paralympic hopeful. You're going to be seeing her in Italy. I promise you that in 26. When Kiana was only 12 years old, she suffered a serious injury at a motocross practice that left her right arm completely paralyzed while recovering from this accident. She was hit by a drunk driver reversing any strength that she'd recovered and leaving her dominant arm, that right arm completely permanently paralyzed. Although these circumstances certainly changed her life, young Kiana did not allow them to define her today. Kiana is going to share what she learned by accepting that event by accepting her body, by trusting in God, and by realizing you may not always be able to choose the path that you walk or race in life, but you can always choose the manner in which you walk and race it. You're going to love this conversation, and I encourage you to stick around for the very end because you're going to particularly love the answer to question number four of the Live Inspired 7 she is, I believe, our first guest to choose two individuals that she wants to sit directly next to. And I'm not going to tell you who they are, but you will be surprised, I think, by how different these individuals are. And you're going to love her even more. So my friends, grab your favorite Live Inspired journal. If you haven't done so yet, tell your friends online that you're checking out the Live Inspired podcast. They should, too. Buckle up. Get ready for a ride as we introduce you to my friend, and she is about to be yours. Her name is Kiana Clay. Kiana, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: I'm thrilled that you get to share your heart and your story and your ups and downs with our audience today. When people meet you for the first time and they're like, Kiana Clay, I I think I've heard that name before. What do you do? do?" How do you respond to that?
1: I just kind of smile and I just say, oh, if you've Heard of me. That's pretty cool. I've always had a very humble heart. So I always just, I always go through it with grace and humility. And I'm just like, what sports are you in? And I kind of get talking about them. And then if I find out they're into dirt bikes and I'm like, oh, I've probably seen you at the track or they're like, oh, I'm super into snowboarding. And I'm like, oh, well maybe I've seen you on the hill. Like what's your favorite mountain? So I kind of actually almost take the conversation, turn it into them and try and actually get to know that person because people are important. You know,
0: that's an awesome answer. I I do know. And I do understand that that is your heart and you do it extraordinarily well. And part of that grows out of where you came from and the origin story. So uh, before we talk about an event that changed your life, let's just talk about growing up. What was growing up in Corona, California, like for you?
1: Oh, man. Uh, So Corona and just like the Inland Empire is very heavy into action sports. It's like the Mecca of all action sports. Right. So that's where like surfing came out of skateboarding, motocross. So I grew up kind of being surrounded by all these sports and looking at all these really cool things from my neighbors. I grew up with, with the, with the need of adrenaline. Like I just always wanted to go fast, whether I was on my rollerblades, my skateboard, my main goal was to give my mom a heart attack because then that means I was going really, really fast. So if I was achieving that, then it was a great day. And I remember that for some reason, I can't remember if I saw a dirt bike or what it was, but I really, really, really wanted a dirt bike. And I think I was like, five six years old something like that and my dad was like well you know if you can show me that you ride your bike with the training wheels off then I'll get you a dirt bike and so he went to work and then I went across the street and there was my neighbor Rich and I said hey Rich my dad said to come over and to get my training wheels off can you help me and he was like um your dad said that really and then I was like oh yeah totally for sure so he takes my training wheels off I start riding my bike around and start figuring it out on myself and then my dad comes home from work and I was like, Hey daddy, you have to buy me a dirt bike now. And he was like, uh, no, we had a deal. And I was like, I know, come watch me. I don't ride with training wheels anymore. And he watches me ride without training wheels. And he's like, you're right. Okay. Yeah. I got to get to your dirt bike now. <laughs> I've always been very determined. I've always been called like bossy by like all my peers. Cause I was just, I'm very tunnel vision. I always have been, I've always known what I wanted to do, what I've wanted to accomplish. And I just always known that I wanted to go fast.
0: Mm. What a great story. Talk about your dad a little bit. What What was he like as a father to a young five, six, seven-year-old girl?
1: Even to this day, my dad's my biggest cheerleader. He's always supporting me. He's always encouraging me. Even in the moments where like recently started like dealing with depression and stuff. But even whenever I get like really stuck in my head, he'll be like, take the emotion out of it. What are your options? How What are ways that you can go about this? Stop crying about it. Put it into action. And I think my dad growing, like raising me up to be super tough, so I think just having really tough parents made me look at a lot of situations of you can sit and cry about it, or you can go and do something about it. So I've just always had that mentality. And I'm just very grateful that my parents raised me that way. Cause it's just made me a very, very, very tough woman.
0: Were they tough before November 18th, 2006? Were they always that kind of mom and dad?
1: Yes. My mom never really supported me racing because she was always afraid I was going to get hurt that and it happened. But my dad was also just very tough because he knew the potential and the love that I had for the sport, and he knew that I could go pretty big with it and do very well, especially during that time in the early 2000s when the Women's Motocross Association was at its absolute peak. Female motocross racers were coming out everywhere and actually doing championship series and doing really, really well with it. My dad was very tough on me with racing. Um, He held me to a really high standard, which I think developed me into a very competitive person. But I think I've also always been competitive and he just, he just fed into it, which just made me a a really good competitor.
0: Well, you would need that for the fight that was about to arrive. So I I dropped a date a moment ago. Let's come back to it now. November 18th, 2006. You're in Texas. Tell our audience who may not yet know your story, what happened?
1: my whole goal in my dream was whenever I turned 16, I wanted to become this professional motocross racer and get signed by Honda or whoever I was riding, whoever I wanted to ride for at the time. And so I had these big dreams. And so I lived and breathed racing for sure. And I was at this one race that was pretty much a practice before the women's cup that was on Thanksgiving week. And it was on November 18, 2006, that I was racing at Freestone County Raceway in Wortham, Texas. And it was super muddy. It rained pretty much like the whole week before. And, you know, I went out there and I saw that everybody was starting to get their bikes kind of stuck in the mud. So I go out there for practice. My bike is completely caked with mud and I have absolutely no traction on my tires whatsoever. And so I go over the finish line jump and I land. And because I had no traction and it was so slick, my back tire completely slid out. And there was another rider immediately behind me but didn't have any time to react. He saw me on, on the ground and his front tire was spinning and he tried to avoid me the best that he could, but his front tire went right over my neck, broke my neck and ripped the nerves out of my spinal cord. And it flew me about eight feet into the air. I was knocked out for about seven to eight minutes. You know, I don't know if you've ever been blacked out, but when you black out, your very first immediate reaction when you wake up is to move all of your limbs, right? Make sure everything's working good. And so I start wiggling my toes, wiggling my legs, wiggling my arms. And then I was like, wait, I can't move or feel my right arm.
0: Kiana, how, how old are you when this race starts?
1: I was 12 years old. You tell mm.
0: this, this thing so succinctly and, and almost non-emotionally. Talk about that even. You're able to pull some of that emotion out of it. But I would imagine when you reflect on it, honestly, it is incredibly emotional.
1: If you would have asked me this about like 10 years ago, I, I probably would have cried telling the story, Right. But I would say now, whenever I look back at my accident, I have such a grateful heart where I'm so thankful for that because it makes me feel more of a warrior. It makes me feel more of a fighter. I feel like I have a huge belief in God. So I have way more confidence and a better relationship with God and so much more trust because the dreams that I had, I had no idea that the WMA was going to, completely fall off the face of the earth and women would no longer have any sort of career opportunity at all in motocross. But with me now riding with one arm, I'm literally living my dream, but more so than I thought ever possible. But I think part where it makes me really angry is that, you know, I was sent to three different hospitals before they finally diagnosed me a brachial plexus injury, but starting to regain some bicep muscle back. Right, and the doctors are saying, yeah, you might be able to regain a little bit of movement here and there, a little bit of feeling. A few short months after, like my dad was taking me back from physical therapy, and so this guy was driving crazy, swerved out, swerved in, swerved out, swerved in. But when he swerved back in, he he nicked our back tire. My dad lost control of the wheel. We ended up flipping like three times. So then everything I was gaining back, I instantly lost. But even through that, like I've been able to see like God's grace and the way that He was able to redeem that and. It's actually really difficult for me to be hard, hard on myself about my story or really emotional about it because I just, there's so much good that has come out of it.
0: When you hear a story, whether it's uh, the bottom of the racetrack and the bike runs over your neck, or we're on the highway leaving PT and there's a guy swerving, he hits us, we flip three times. Mm -hmm. It's easy to not fully understand what you're really saying. Yeah, uh, I've seen the pictures of you in the emergency room, and then in the recovery as you, the sweet little girl, are going through this, mm-hmm. these procedures. I saw the picture of the white pickup truck, I believe, completely smashed. And the fact that you and your father survived that is a miracle. Yeah, but the fact that someone caused it through misbehavior and mistakenness, like that, yeah, that's that's hard. Yeah, you survive that, and then the therapy continues, and then the journey forward continues. Would you talk a little bit about what you? what you went through as you're going through these therapy rounds, is you're trying to do life now as a young girl with one arm.
1: Again, I was 12 years old when this happened, right? And so as a young preteen girl, you know, you're going through hormonal changes, you're starting to become a woman, you're trying to figure out, okay, do, am I going to start wearing makeup? Oh, I actually care about what my hair looks like. So that was the most challenging, I think, is just, is having all those different transitions of One day I woke up being a fully abled 12 year old healthy girl to a disabled girl having no idea what's going on with her body anymore at the end of the day. So it was just so many changes. And with middle school and high school, I just got bullied a lot and trying to find my identity and who I wanted to be because I was, I was always the chick that rode dirt bikes, right. That worked on cars, that was an adrenaline junkie that did really cool stuff And now I had my weekends freed up. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do for my weekends? And okay, when I come home, I don't need to practice anymore. I'm actually doing schoolwork. What the heck is up with this? So it was was just a really, really big transition. And it's funny because um, I started going to therapy about three years ago. I didn't realize this, but I actually developed in my brain that whenever I'm struggling with something or something traumatic is happening, my brain actually numbs itself out to protect itself to where I can't really feel anything emotionally. Mm -hmm. And when I look back at middle school and high school, I think my brain was numb for a good majority of that time. Like I didn't really react to a whole lot. I really just kind of was like the water and I went with the flow, (laughs) so to speak. But, you know, I, I tried out for absolutely everything. So I was like, you know, I'm missing this void. I love motocross. I miss my dirt bike. I played tennis. I did basketball. I did drill team. I did cheerleading. I did pretty much everything except for band because I couldn't really play any of the instruments. I mean, I wanted to hit the gong, but, you know, you, that's not necessary for every song. So I was like, okay.
0: You're doing all these things, but I've heard you say and read you share before that that stage was an extraordinarily difficult one for you. Talk about the bullying. How did you cope with it back then?
1: There was this one moment where I remembered like it's yesterday. I was walking down the hallway. There were these two boys that were standing at the door and they said, oh yeah, that's that chick with the paralyzed arm. And I wasn't wearing a hoodie or anything that day. And I have severe muscle atrophy. My arm is literally just a skeleton pretty much. I have no muscle whatsoever. So it's just, it flaps around when I walk. And he looked at his buddy and he was like, when she walks, it just, it looks like flubber. Like it just bounces around at her side. And then I just turned around and I looked at them. I was like, excuse me. And I don't think that they realized that I was able to hear them. I was so angry because it's like, you're making fun of me as something that I can't control. That I actually picked up my bad hand, the middle finger, and I lifted it up to them. I was like, this is what else I can do. I mean, it might look flabby, but it gets the point across. And then I walked away. But, you know, I was still trying to figure out, I, w- I was very insecure about my arm. I always had a hoodie on to make sure that I was covering it up and putting my arm through the hoodie, like the front pocket. So it looked like I had two hands. I was dominant in my right hand. So I had to relearn how to draw and write because I'm also an artist with my left. And one of the teachers assigned one of my best friends at the time to write my homework for me. And one day she, I think it was like two months into it. She looked at me and said, I shouldn't be having to do this for you. This is ridiculous. She's like, this is your problem, not mine. And then she gave me my homework back. Ever since then, that's when I also developed the mentality of I'm never going to let somebody treat me like that again. And I'm just going to figure out how to work with my disability and just make things happen. Because I never wanted to feel like that again. I never wanted to feel that I wasn't capable of something, that I was a burden to somebody or somebody felt that I was taking advantage of them just because I needed help. And so I ended up get, becoming pretty stubborn. I was like, I'm just not going to ask for help anymore.
0: <laughs> You've done it remarkably. I mean, I, I, we'll slowly come through some of these stories, but you, you are able to not only drive a car, which is like, well, that's not that impressive, well, and a stick shift yeah. with your left hand. So like, yeah, it is incredibly impressive. I saw a video of you watching it with my, my beautiful little girl, Grace. So Grace is 10 uh, years old and looks up to you. But painting nails is something many young girls like to do. Which is not that complicated if you have the use of two hands. How Mm -hmm. in the world do you paint your fingers if you only have one arm to use? So why don't you tell our listeners exactly how you do it? Grace knows, but our listeners may not.
1: I paint my nails with my mouth. I put the little paintbrush thing and I use my teeth to bite onto it. And I hold my breath for however long it takes for me to paint my nails. Because sometimes I'll get like a really bad headache. (laughs) And then I'll just, I'll just paint my nails with my mouth. It took a lot of, took a lot of practice. It sometimes doesn't look the best, but it gets the job done.
0: You, you talked a moment ago about wearing a hoodie and long sleeves. And before we recorded, you and I were talking about the similarities in, in our stories in that on that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, for many years, I wore long sleeves and covered my hands and tried to pretend the disability did not exist. Yeah. When did you begin embracing the the disability and being unafraid of it being not negatively defining you anymore, but just being who you are. It's part of you.
1: I'd say about halfway through high school, my art teacher. And I remember her, Mrs. Adair. She was like my high school mom. And she was the first person that told me that what I do is inspiring. And I'm like, what, why? I was so confused by it. I didn't really understand it at the time. Cause I was like, I just do what I do. Like, I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm not doing this to make anybody happy. I'm just doing it for me. But when she told me that, that's whenever I started to actually embrace my arm and be like, you know, if I keep hiding it, I can't help people. But if I show it and show that something's wrong and it leads people to ask questions, I could help motivate them or I can encourage them or I can, what they like to say today, inspire them or hear their stories or develop a relationship. So I've developed a new mentality now of rather than being ashamed of my disability and the fact that I look different, I now fully embrace it of the uniqueness where I'm like, I don't want to look like everybody else. That's boring. I want to stand out. I, I want to be me by my own definition and by the way that God sees me. And I know that when I go to heaven, I'm getting a new body. So it's like, why am I going to, why does it matter right now? Like, why am I going to be focused on vanity when nobody cares about it, but me? Hmm. So if I fully embrace it and I, and I can embrace it as a part of who I am, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks because I'm secure in myself. And that's what matters at the end of the day.
0: You also have mentioned in the past around body image, Mm -hmm. you know, the accident happened when you were 12, it certainly changed your life and and your right arm became completely immobilized and unable to, to move whatsoever. And then atrophied, it became really skinny and different than your left arm young people. I was going to say young girls. It's not young girls. It's young people, all yeah. young people. And as you get older, you realize, dang it, I haven't outgrown it. So all listeners struggle with body image. They struggle with sense of self. When they look in the mirror, they wish they were something that they don't see staring back at them frequently. You're yeah. going through this as a, as a young teenager. And then as a young woman, when did you begin to look in that mirror and love what you saw staring back at you?
1: I mean, whenever I look back at my younger years, I regret that I didn't have the mentality then, but I think I had just like anything difficult, I had to go through that in order to develop the mentality I have now and to appreciate it.
0: What would you say to someone, whether they are 12 years old, like you were, or they are a little bit more seasoned, like some of our listeners and viewers Hmm. who uh, are struggling with their body or their, their sense of self and how they're different than they wish they were?
1: One of the things that I've learned, obviously through a lot of personal experiences. I've cheated death a few times. And so I'm like, you know, we can die when we have no idea when we're going to die. If I was to die today, my friends are going to say, oh yeah. Do you remember Kiana's stretch marks on her thighs? Oh my gosh. I can't believe her. That was, that was insane. Right? No, 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 no one's ever going to comment about your muffin top when you're, when you're gone. No one's going to comment about your limb when you're gone. No one's going to comment about any of this stuff. Cause it, it doesn't matter. It's just all vanity. If you feed into that insecurity, it's just going to lead a whole trail of negative narratives that you've made up in your own mind and just lies that are completely untrue about yourself because you, your body does not define who you are. My arm doesn't like make me selfish or make me humble. I make myself humble. I make myself giving because of what I've gone through with my arms so you can use whatever body image that you're struggling with to strengthen yourself to motivate others to create relationships or just to get out there and do what you want to do but I've just quickly learned that if you if you have these body images it's just holding you back of fulfilling what your purpose is Mm -hmm
0: you, my friend, are doing all kinds of amazing things in high school. You are fully mm-hmm. active. Your life is not easy, but you're enjoying the life that is yours. You go off to college yep, and you feel like something's kind of missing. So mm-hmm. you find yourself at a dirt track, watching oh. other people do what you used to do and what you used to love. Just take it forward from there.
1: I was still hanging out at the dirt bike track. I saw a lot of friends in the industry. Um, and so I was out at the track one day and I just kind of, kind of started brainstorming with my friend Connor. I was like, Is it possible to ride with one arm? And he was like, You know, I I don't think so. I've never seen anybody do it. And I was like, Huh, okay. And there is this KX 110, which is just a little pit bike. And we kind of started sitting and looking at it. And we're like, You know, we could probably make this work. I had no intention of getting on the track, no intention of racing. I just want to ride around the pits. And so we end up breaking up this pit bike. He brings it to the track the next day. I swing my leg over it. And getting used to the upside down throttle, I almost loop it out into a tree. But then I was like, no, it's totally fine. I can figure this out. There was this little kid track. And so I taped this little pit bike on this little kid track and I'm riding around. I start jumping it. I start doing these corners and I'm like, yes. It was like sitting on that bike reminded me of who I was. Like I felt so at peace. I felt so whole. I was smiling the whole day. I did not get off that bike for about like three hours straight just to refill for gas. And then I started looking over at the big track and I was like, no, I'm sure I, I think I could do that. that that's easy. Whatever. Mind that this was probably one of the gnarliest tracks in Texas at the time it's called underground MX and a lot of pros go there just to train because the it's, it's insane. And whenever I look back at it, I was like, what was I thinking? But so I just started going out there and started writing and I was super happy. And, you know, this is around the time that Facebook was starting to become more popular There was a photographer out there and he was taking pictures he took a picture of me and he tagged me on my facebook and i was like oh lord now i gotta tell my parents a little later that week i sent my parents down i was like hey you're probably gonna see this picture of me but i'm back to riding i'm very happy i'm probably not gonna stop i don't know if i'm gonna race again but even just riding around the track i'm super super happy a few weeks later my dad comes out to the track he went in and helped me buy a bigger bike that was more fitted for me and helped me get like all the best safety equipment, like helmets, padding, gear, the whole nine yards. About a year and a half later, I ended up having my first gate drop. I'm, I'm very grateful that I did that because it's opened up my career that I have now and a lot of really cool things in my life. So if I didn't take that initiative and believe in myself and listen to myself and what I wanted for me out of my life. I really don't know where I would be right now.
0: You're talking about it, open up doors to some things. Mm -hmm. Cycling, surfing, snowboarding, skating, Mm -hmm. on and on, And modeling, speaking. You've done all these amazing things. Looking back at this journey, and I recognize you're in the middle of it. You're in your Mm -hmm. mid-20s with a life, God willing, in front of you. What has amazed you most, first on what you've overcome, like, John, I can't believe I'm able to do this. And then secondly, on the response from others as they observe you. So what's been most amazing for you for what you've been able to achieve? And then secondly, what's amazed you most that others say about you?
1: Honestly, I don't, I really don't find myself amazing just because I, I just do what I do. I know what makes me happy and I just do it. Like I just, I don't think about it. I don't Wait for someone's approval about it. I mean, my doctors and my entire family didn't support anything that I did at the time, but now they're now they're super proud of me. So I don't necessarily just find it amazing. It's just more of don't listen to other people about what you want to do with your life.
0: As you listen to you know the whisper in your ears, whether it's God or reflection or figuring out ultimately who you are and who's you are and what you want to do, so you start living your life. But while you're living, it others are watching. Yeah, and the, yeah. the folks around you, and around the pit, and around the race tracks, it keeps growing. It keeps swelling. The attention you've gotten around this has just been probably awe-inspiring for you. Are yeah. you are you surprised by that?
1: I'm a little surprised by it, just because social media wasn't a thing when I first started writing. I didn't start writing for any type of opportunity. I didn't do it for attention. I didn't do it for kudos i did it because i wanted to do it and i i did it a a lot behind closed doors just because i wasn't racing for a while so i had no expectations of it i just knew what made me happy i knew what i love but what's really cool is just to see the the support of moto be become so and i'm just speaking about motocross specifically because I, i still think it's pretty fairly new but just how much they've embraced adaptive riders and how many other adaptive riders I've met, like Mike Schultz, he rides with one leg, Max Gomez rides with one leg, uh, Carson Fisk, he has one arm too, and he rides with his, with his nub. It's just, it's really, really cool. And it's just, I think my biggest thing that I've just been really excited to kind of show with my riding is. You can be a girl and you can be a disabled girl and still go and ride and race against fully able competitors, not only beat them, but you can still be good. Like you can still pursue this. Am I ever going to be first place at Loretta's? No, but at the end of the day, I don't care about that. I get to ride my dirt bike and that's all that I wanted at the end of the day
0: so not everybody who listens to our voice today will be riding a dirt bike later on today, but every one of us will in the next few days or weeks have bad days. Yeah. When you have one of those days, whether it's on a track or it's in a mirror or it's by yourself and you're just, it's a struggle. Mm -hmm. What, What do you do to begin pivoting from that negativity and from that just struggle, whatever that struggle might be into a place where you're more liberated to be joyful and grateful and you.
1: I do a lot of journaling. I do a lot of reflecting. And I talk to my dad probably about three, four times a day. He's my best friend and he's 1000% my sounding board. And so if I'm struggling or having a bad time, my dad is one of the very first people to be like, you can say all this or you can put action to it. I've also known that you can sit and dwell on the what ifs, but it's not going to change your situation or what you're going through right now. Is it productive? No. Is it creating false narratives? Yeah. Is it putting more lies in your head and creating more of a negative train of thought? Yes. And so I now look at, I don't know whose quote this is, but I absolutely love it. I found it one time just surfing through Google, but struggle is your boot camp for preparing you for whatever is coming next. Anytime that I struggle, I'm just like, it's just my boot camp.
0: You've been through quite a bit of boot camp, uh, and even with all that boot camp, there are days where it's not just a day, but it's a string of days, and then weeks. And you've referred to this in social media. We talked about it even before we hit record. But depression, I'm blessed to not really know that pain, but there yeah. are those in my family who know it well,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: I know of no family not affected by mental health and mental wellness and depression and bipolar. So as as you have dealt with your own version of this. What's that experience been like for you? What has helped you in those moments or in those seasons of struggle? And what might be some of the encouragement for others who are in the middle of it right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, specifically for you know depression and anxiety, it's just, you really got to make sure you have solid friends and people in your corner that are supporting you, loving you and caring for you. And if you get in the moments where you're, you find yourself kind of in a deep pit, You need to call those people and have them help you get out of it, you know, reach out to friends and be like, hey, kind of stuck in a really bad mindset. Do you want to go to dinner? I need to be around people because the one thing that's going to increase that situation is isolation, because if you're isolated, you, you don't have any other conversation with anybody else. It's easy to get stuck in your head and to stay in your room and not leave. So you got to get out, you got to exercise, release endorphins. It's going to sound cliche, but it's very true, like healthy diet and just a really good circle of people and get a therapist. I mean, I have my therapist at church, I have my regular therapist and I have my sports psych and I talk to all of them. There's resources out there and you just got to use your resources.
0: I think I hear a little bit of noise in the background. You, you have a, a blonde mm-hmm. boyfriend is my understanding. Four legs. We talk talk about this incredible little creature.
1: Yeah. His name is Harley. He is a golden retriever and he is just, he's the sweetest boy. He's shaking right now because I have a sweater on him and he doesn't like the sweater. He's the sweetest boy. He's, he's helped me a lot with my depression because I mean, I'm very blessed for what I get to do in my career today, but I'm always by myself. I'm, I'm away from my family. Often it's hard to have friends because I'm constantly on the go. So Harley is my little fur baby that makes me happy and gets me outside. He's awesome. He's my support animal for sure and definitely my best friend.
0: When you and Harley look at the calendar and it's November 16th and then 17th, and then that next date comes, how do you feel about the anniversary of the day that you lost the ability to use your right arm? When that date approaches, what, what emotions strike?
1: I feel a bit of a heavy weight on my chest, but. I've been doing something for like the last five years, I'd say, but on that day, I'll just write everything that I'm grateful for. You know, I don't look at it in a negative context because what good is that going to do? It puts you in like a poor me, woe is me type of mentality. And I just don't, it's not productive. It's not beneficial. So I just, I spend that day with a lot of my really good friends. I try, if I'm around them, I try to spend it with my family and we just write down what we're grateful for about it and how it's how it's made me grow and how it's made me tough. And it's, it's really good just to always keep it in a very positive mindset because we can't control a lot of things in our life, but we control our thoughts and we can control how we react to things. And so I always want to make sure that I'm reacting on that day and controlling my thoughts on that day to be positive and uplifting towards myself and to love myself and to not be hard on myself and know that i tried my very best in everything since then.
0: You uh, have a surgery coming up. Yes. Would you tell our listeners a little bit about that and, and ultimately what led to it and how are you feeling about it?
1: Yeah. So I have been thinking for the last four and a half years about amputating my arm. And I've put a lot of thought into it because it, I, I've, I'm very well aware and I've come to terms very honestly that I'm not getting my arm back and I'm okay with that. But it just doesn't make any sense to have a dead weight that causes me pain on my neck, my shoulders, and I have a lot of subluxation because I don't have muscles pulling my shoulder and my bone up into the socket. So it's like, why have something there that doesn't work? And so I've actually decided to go ahead and amputate it. And it's about a week and a half away. It's on uh, the 25th of this month of May. And I'm really, really, really excited about it. I'm actually doing a little mini documentary by myself about like my feelings about it. I'm going to do it, um, the day of recovery and recovery and everything, but I have a lot of friends with upper limb disabilities since I do adaptive snowboarding competitively. And I've seen how they've been able to use their knobs to hold a piece of paper down to sign or to use their nubs to help tie their shoes. And so I think it's just gonna be a lot more of a, a huge enhancement in quality of life as well as my athletics, which I'm really excited to kind of see and start modifying and experimenting with but i'll be able to actually snowboard without my sling which will give me better balance and better flexibility better mobility so i'm just very 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 excited i think it's going to be a really great move
0: what an awesome answer i honestly wasn't expecting such raw optimism for it (laughs) as you're struggling though because I would imagine there is some anxiety. What, what yeah. concerns you about this massive decision? It's you've been living like this now for almost 14 years, and it's going to be a, a transformational moment when you wake up from surgery. What, what concerns you about that?
1: I think the thing that concerns me is that I'm not too sure how my body is going to react and I'm not too sure what to expect because everybody with their nerves is significantly different. So I already deal with neuropathy pain where, you know, my nerves feel like they're trying to refire and they're sending electrocuting, throbbing, and bee stinging pains down my arm 24-7. And since they're cutting off more nerve endings, I don't know if my neuropathy is going to increase. I don't know if it's going to help it. I just don't know how it's necessarily going to recover, what to expect. And it's not like I can go ask somebody because everybody's nerve damage injuries are significantly different from other people's. It's not like a broken bone where you can heal it up and sew it back together and it's all good. It's a lot more complex. So I think that's the only thing I'm very nervous about. It's funny that I that I mentioned this earlier, but again, the just the vanity aspect of I am going to officially look disabled. I will be missing a limb. And just mentally preparing myself for comments, critiques, and just reminding myself that their opinions don't matter. And that I'm doing this to enhance my, to enhance my life, to enhance my mobility, and it has nothing to do about them. And if anything, to feel sorry for people that look down on people with disabilities. I don't understand how people can't be empathetic or sympathetic when they don't even know what it's like to be disabled or to have to modify your entire life. So rather than being angry, but feel sorry and have a gracious heart towards those those people.
0: Thank you. That's beautiful. You are a role model. And when you hear that, I don't think people... I don't think it's that they, they imagine themselves necessarily finishing first, whether it's snowboarding yeah. or skiing or water skiing, or a million other sports that you somehow are a part of in your life. It's, it's epic. Mm-hmm. You're a role model for something far different and I think far better and bigger. So when you think about what you're a role model for, whether it's a young girl looking up to you or a, an audience member in the crowd cheering you forward, wh- why do you think it is that they look up to you? What do you think it is about you that they cheer and that they, they hope they recognize within themselves?
1: I think it's because I'm a very big people person. Like like whenever I got sponsored by Burton, I'm the first adaptive Snowboarder they've ever signed. But when I got sponsored by them, my team manager was like, hey, we have these pro form codes. And I asked him, I was like, do you mind if I give some to my teammates? Whenever I get blessed with opportunities, I'm always sharing my opportunities with people around me. I'm always trying to help people. I'm a huge giver. I have a huge heart of giving. I love helping people. Um, I love encouraging people like, if everybody around me is taken care of and smiling, then I'm happy. I've just always been a a very big person about taking care of those around you and developing good relationships because sports are cool and all, but if you're not enjoying the sports with people that you're with, the sports aren't really that fun. So it's all about the relationships. It's all about the people around you. And I think that's what our culture has lost is that we've like culture has now developed this me, 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 like self-care, which is great. Like, yeah, take care of yourself, but to an extent where if you're idolizing yourself and putting yourself above other people, then I personally think that that's a problem. And so I think that's why I stand out in a bunch of sports is because I don't have that, that mentality. Like I'm always trying to help everybody around me all the time.
0: Kiana Clay, we have seven questions that tether all of our interviewees together. But before I get into the first one, my final question in the, in the regularly scheduled program is this, what's next for you? As you look ahead, you've got a major surgery coming up and then the next step after that, but what what are you excited about looking ahead?
1: After the surgery, recover well, take care of myself. But my next big goal is to be the first upper limb female to represent the United States in Italy for the Paralympics in 2026.
0: I'll be cheering for you. Thank you. And I I don't think I'll be alone. So here we go. The Live Inspired (laughs) Seven with Kiana Clay begins with this. Kiana Clay, what's been one of the most inspirational or impactful books you've ever read?
1: Ooh, I'm a really big reader. That's a hard one. I would actually probably say Mere Christianity by C.S.
0: Lewis. Wow. So, what was it about C.S. Lewis, this 80 year old book now or so, that you were so moved by?
1: Just the way that he can take science and logic to prove the existence of God, I think is just brilliant because he used to be an atheist and now he's one of the most profound writers ever for Christianity.
0: Awesome. What's one positive characteristic or trait? that you possess growing up in Corona, California, that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today?
1: Ooh, it's sad that back then it was looked at as a negative trait, but being bossy, (laughs) I was always looked at as being bossy, but today with me still having this bossy personality, I get things done. I figure things out for myself. I was always called stubborn and I was always called headstrong, but it's like if I wasn't stubborn and I wasn't headstrong, I have no idea where I would be at all. It was negative back then, but I see them in a much more positive light today, and I'm actually really grateful that my personality is like that.
0: And I think it's so hilarious that you, you're this petite, five-foot-two, young lady, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. bossy,
0: and on the track, and on the board, yeah. ripping it up.
1: It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's
0: like this dichotomy, and I think it's awesome that they play so well together.
1: Yeah, if, it's fun.
0: <laughs> if your home caught fire and... Harley is out, your friends are out, your family's out, and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item, just one thing. Mm -hmm. What would you come racing back out with?
1: Probably my Supercross helmet. Why that? That was one of my biggest dreams that came true. I was featured in the Makeup to Mud Supercross for the final round in Vegas. And I had an entire stadium in Las Vegas just cheering for me as I rode my dirt bike on the Supercross track. That was the biggest dream come true ever.
0: If you could sit on a bench and have a long conversation with anyone living or deceased, who would you like to be visiting with?
1: Mm. There's so many of them. I think talking to Snoop Dogg would be really cool. Cause I just think he's a really cool dude. I think he's super mellow. I think he's really funny. I love that. He's been wearing sweatpants like his entire life, but then I also think that, you know, obviously talking to people who've written the Bible, I think would be really cool too. Like Paul. I think it would be awesome to hear what it's like to be in jail and pretty much write a good, good chunk of the Bible while he was in jail. Like that's just gnarly. There's so, there's so many, so many good ones.
0: We got Keanu Clay on, on the beach in California right now to her left is St. Paul. And they're talking about Romans and to the right is Snoop baby. He's got a sweatpants yep. on yep. and they're still not talking about life. <laughs> that would be a cool conversation to, uh, right. to be I think with.
1: it would be pretty awesome.
0: <laughs> what a great contrast. Advice? That's for sure. Huge contract. <laughs> What's the best advice that Snoop, St. Paul, or anyone else has ever given you?
1: Definitely my dad. He's always given me good advice, though, especially when he tells me, stop talking about it, start doing something. And he always tells me to take like the emotion out of things. That for sure, because that's made me put a lot of things into action, make a lot of changes into my life.
0: Stop talking, start doing Mm-hmm. This is important with motocross. It's important with a, a, an accident as a 12 year old, and it is critical in life. Stop yeah. Talking, a lot of yeah. talking. So let's start doing. What advice, and I, most of my guests are far more seasoned. They're a little bit older than you are, but what advice would you, if you could go back in time, six or seven years, give yourself at age 20?
1: No matter where you come from, no matter what traumatic experiences you've lived through, no matter what disability you have or circumstance, just anything negative that comes into your life, you have the opportunity to make it into something good and you can make it into what you want it to be. Mm -hmm. There's literally no limits to anything. The last thing that I would say, and I actually have this tattooed on my spine is stop tiptoeing through life to arrive safely at death. Just
0: one more time, slow it down a little bit to make sure that people taking notes at home are able to write (laughs) that one down.
1: Stop tiptoeing through life to arrive safely at death. You legitimately have one life to live and fear is a liar. There's no fact in fear and fear can hold you back from your purpose, from your dreams, from what you want out of life. Go full throttle, man. We're, we're only here for a short amount of time.
0: <laughs> go full throttle, man. You heard it here first. So here we go. My friends, the seventh and final question for Kiana is this Kiana. It has been said that all great people can have mm-hmm. their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like yours to read?
1: Whoo, man, you got some good, good questions. To have it summed up, I would, I would probably just have it simply say, man, trust God. Super simple, but be caught up so much in ourselves and what we think. But all we see is just what, what's right in front of us. While he sees the entire picture, and we just see this one little mess rather than seeing that it's an entire garden.
0: Mm. trust god quit tiptoeing through life quit talking start mm-hmm. moving among yep. many, many many other nuggets dropped today by our friend kiana clay kiana i want to thank you for not tiptoeing i want to thank you for your boldness and your courage and your faithfulness and your love not only of others but of yourself it's extraordinarily yeah. attractive it sets you apart and i know that your best is yet to come
1: thank you really appreciate okay. it
0: that is kiana clay You will be watching her in italy in about four years and you can follow her online among many other places my name is john o'leary and today is your day live inspired my friends i mentioned on the front side of the conversation that you were going to feel as if kiana was your friend by the end of it and i i believe that we lived into that truth together There were three things from this conversation, many more than three, but three things that specifically I wrote down to bring back into the light to share with you as we wrap up this conversation. The first was this, her notion, her idea, her challenge of this. Stop talking, start doing. Stop talking, stop talking, and start taking action. That is huge in every aspect of life. The second is this. Do you remember the advice that she would give to her 20-year-old self? Well, it wasn't that long ago, but this is what she would have said to herself just five years in the in the past. Kiana, no matter where you've come from, what traumatic experiences you've lived through, what disability or negative circumstances have, have come into your life, you have the opportunity and the mandate to make it into something good. And you can make it into something, including yourself, that you want to be in the future. That is huge. It's incredibly important for this young lady to be reminded of. But I also felt moved by it in my own life and thought you might in your life. So that no matter what we've been through, you have the decision. You have the say on how you step into this day. Which brings me to my third point. Kiana this week is having her dominant right arm amputated. And yet the faithfulness and the courage And the audacity that she attacks life with is the exact same way that she is looking forward to the surgery this week. And so as we step through this week, as you get back into your day, my invitation for you is to have that same kind of faithfulness, the same kind of courage, that same kind of zest for life in your life. And to also keep young Kiana in your thoughts and prayers as she goes for this surgery comes out of it healthy and lives into a life even better tomorrow than it was yesterday i want to thank you my friends for being part of our live inspire community and if you are looking to go down a path similar to the one you just experienced with kiana let me recommend two possible selections the first is bethany hamilton she is the original soul surfer she is the woman who survived a shark attack And then she got back on that surfboard. It is a phenomenal conversation. And another one that is similar to it is with Christine. Ha, no, different experience, not in the water. But early in her life at age 20, Christine lost the ability to see instead of giving up on her life. However, she leaned into one of the passions within her life, which was cooking. You're going to hear a lot more, my friends, than just how to make a good recipe in that conversation with Christine High. You're going to hear the story of a champion for life. She's awesome. So is Bethany. And I want to remind you today, so are you. If you want to learn more about either of those conversations or all of our episodes on the Live Inspired podcast, check it out on our primary website. It is found at JohnO'LearyInspires.com forward slash podcast. I'm going to say that to you one more time. JohnO'LearyInspires.com forward slash podcast. So for this time, you know where this thing's going next. And until next time, my name is John O'Leary, and today is your day. What a gift. Live inspired. Well, Keeley Company's culture sets them apart. And their people live out the unique culture every single day. Perhaps it's best seen through their philanthropic foundation called Keeley Cares. It was built on a passion for giving of their time, their talent, and their treasure to help improve the communities in which they live and where they work. We're so excited that they were named one of the top corporate philanthropists by the St. Louis Business Journal for 2021. You can learn more about Keeley Cares by visiting them online at KeeleyCompanies.com.